Please open your Bibles or follow along on the screen to Genesis chapter 1, starting on verse 26 for our first part of the reading. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Our second reading will be in Psalm 139, starting on verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows when it is very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Well, it is such an honor to be with you this morning. Um, Holly and I, like it's been said, we lead Hope Women's Center, and it is such an honor for us uh, to be with you. Um, We value this church so much. We are so honored to be one of your gospel partners. And so like it's been said, we will be sharing in the family meeting um, right after service. But I do want to take just a couple minutes, and I do want to talk a little bit about Hope Women's Center. Um, because I realize maybe not everyone will be at the family meeting. And so just a couple um, quick things I do want to share. Hope Women's Center, we are your local crisis pregnancy center. And so every day, young girls and guys, they come to us. Um, They are overwhelmed by their circumstances. They are afraid of the unknown. They have a lot of questions going on. They have a lot of voices speaking into their situation. Um, Oftentimes, they think they're coming to us on maybe what might be the worst day of their life. And yet we know by the sovereign, providential hand of God that they have been brought to us. And the Lord is allowing us an opportunity to speak calm into their situation, to speak life into their situation, to speak hope into their situation. And so we are so grateful that we get to walk with these young guys um, and young girls If you have been um, following Hope's journey um, the past couple of years, you know it's been difficult. So obviously 2020, difficult for everybody, COVID. um, But we really finished 2020 with a lot of momentum, a lot of strength, a lot of vision going into 2021. We were excited about the new year. Uh, We got into 2021 and uh, the great storm happened, right, in February. And some have called it Snowvid or Snowmageddon. And um, it was catastrophic for our ministry. Um, I know a lot of people experienced uh, sprinkler damage, and that was not the case for us. Our full fire suppression system froze. It burst, spewing thousands of gallons of water per minute um, before it was caught a couple of days later. And so when Holly and I, at the end of that week, when we walked into our ministry, uh, it was just devastating. We, it was a complete loss. We opened that door, and it was just every ceiling was down. Um, We lost all equipment, sonogram machines, patient files. It was completely gone. Really a devastating moment. But um, God has shown up. And we'll talk about that more in the family meeting. But uh, just a quick snapshot. Uh, What the enemy meant for evil, God used for good. 
and he showed up in a major way. And so immediately we were able to obtain a mobile clinic, which allowed us to be operational immediately to our community. And so for the past year, we have been serving patients out of a mobile clinic in a temporary building downtown McKinney, uh, but directly across the street from where Hope was located there on Virginia, we were able to purchase two brand new buildings. They were empty shells and we have built them out. And so for the history of the ministry, uh, over the time, we had grown into about 4,000 square feet that we leased. Um, Now we own 9,000 square feet. And we are six weeks now into our new facility, still working out all of the kinks. I believe, yeah, you see the the, uh, the pictures here. Um, Not only do we have so much more space, we are now able to expand medical services. This fall, we will be expanding our hours of operations, evenings and weekends. Um, We have all kinds of new things happening. You will see we have a legacy adoption. We have full adoption services on site. Uh, We have licensed professional Christian biblical counseling on site. As you can imagine, a lot of our patients come in with a lot of trauma and sexual abuse. And so on site, we are able to have professional Christian counselors walking with them. We have all kinds of new classes we are rolling out, prenatal classes, parenting classes. We have post-abortion classes for women, for men. We have life skills, mentoring, budgeting. We have so much. Uh, We have a baby boutique that has all the resources uh, that they could possibly need, diapers, wipes, clothes, maternity clothes, um, car seats. We have cribs. We're able to really come around and resource them. As well as we are in the final steps of getting ready to roll out the abortion pill reversal. Uh, which is just amazing medicine where uh, if a girl is in the middle of a chemical abortion, which is two pills in between pill one and pill two, uh, there's a small window, about 72 hours, where if she has regret or conviction, she would be able to come to Hope Women's Center and receive the medicine to reverse that abortion and bring that life to fruition as God intended. Uh, And so God is doing some incredible, incredible things. And we are so grateful for your church, for your partnership in standing for life in our community. Um, So as you can imagine, our heart is really full as we reflect on all that God has done. Our heart is full as we reflect on momentum that we are seeing in the fight for life in our nation with the Texas heartbeat law, with uh, the great possibility of Roe being overturned. There's a lot of momentum. And so our heart, in one uh, aspect, our heart is very full as we reflect on all of that. But at the same time, our heart is very heavy. Um, Our heart is heavy for the state of our nation. When you see the great division, when you see the the great divide when it comes to this issue, Um, our heart is heavy for the state of the church when we see the division on this issue as well, when we see the confusion of the biblical worldview of life. Um, And our heart is heavy for the victims of abortion where this year marks the 49th year of Roe v. Wade when it says it's estimated that 65 million plus and probably way more than that, 65 million have been killed at the hands of abortion. And so we mourn that, we grieve that. And so our heart is very heavy. And when I say victims of abortion, I'm talking about, yes, the preborn child. There's none more vulnerable in our society than the preborn child. No rights, no voice, no ability to defend themselves. But also when I talk about the victims of abortion, I'm talking about the moms and the dads who have made this tragic decision. Because every day I have the opportunity to sit with young guys. Um, When when girls call in to make their appointments, we do our very best to get them to bring the male influencer with them into the appointment. We realize if we can sit down with the guy, the chance of them choosing life goes up tremendously. 
And so every day I have the opportunity to sit down with these young guys. And on average, our patients are between 15 and 24 years old. Sometimes as young as 11 or 12, sometimes up in their 40s, but on average 15 to 24 years old. And so every day I sit with these young guys and almost every time they'll make this statement, they'll say, I'm just not ready to be a dad. And I get it, right? I'm sitting with a 17 year old and I'm looking at him going, yeah, I get it. But I say the reality is if you're here and your girlfriend is pregnant, you already are a dad. And so now the question is, what kind of dad are you gonna be? Are you gonna fight for the life of your son and your daughter? Or are you gonna terminate their life? And see, they're hearing from friends, they're hearing from family, they're hearing from culture that abortion is easy, that abortion is the right choice for them, that, that you know, if they have an abortion, nobody will know. Um, that if they have a child at this age, it'll ruin their life. They can't go to college. They'll be broke. They'll be poor. They're hearing all of these voices around them. And of course, we know where that comes from. Because just like in our own lives, the way that the enemy operates, he has two primary ways, and that's deception and accusation. You think about your own life and your own sin struggle. It starts with deception and it ends with accusation. And so think about the young girl who finds herself in the crisis of an unplanned pregnancy. Immediately she has all of these voices telling her everything that I just said. Abortion is easy, nobody will know. A baby will ruin your life at this time in your life. It's deception. And the moment she decides to have that abortion, the moment she puts those pills in her mouth, the moment she has that surgical abortion, the enemy switches from deceiver to accuser. And as soon as she does that, he goes, I can't believe you did that. I know who you are. I know what you've done. And Russell Moore, he has a quote, something like this, where he says that there's no one more pro-choice than the devil when the girl's walking into the abortion clinic, and there's no one more pro-life when she's walking out. Deception and accusation. And so this morning, I want you to know that I am not here in response to the row leak. Uh, Pastor Chris asked me a couple of months ago to bring this message to your church family, so I'm not here in response to that. This morning, I'm not here talking about pro-life activism. Yes, we are pro-life, but we are unashamedly pro-eternal life because that's where true transformation happens. And so, yes, we are anti-abortion, but more than that, we are pro-God and pro-His choice as He's the one who, who gives life. He's the one who opens the womb. And so this morning, we're not talking about pro-life activism. Rather, we're talking about being a follower of Jesus, having Holy Spirit eyes to see the most vulnerable in our society. Again, the preborn, no rights, no voice, no ability to defend themselves. And abortion, unfortunately, is easy to not see. It's easy to look the other way because we don't see the unborn child. We don't hear their screams and their cries for help. But as believers, Scripture is abundantly clear that we are to defend the defenseless, that we are to protect the powerless, that we are to be a voice for the voiceless, and that we are to rescue those who are being taken away to death. So I want you to know this morning, if abortion is a part of your story, I want you to hear loud and clear right off the top this morning that God has not brought you to church to shame you. 
Remember that those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. And so today, if you hear any condemnation, if you hear any judgment, you need to immediately recognize that is not from our God. That is not who he is. Remember, where sin flows, grace overflows. Amen? That's the story for every one of us, that we have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And God is just as eager to forgive the sin of abortion as he is any other sin. And so one of, the ma- one of the amazing things about our God is he, he doesn't take our past and shame us with it. He doesn't take our past and rub our face in it. Rather, he takes our past and he redeems it for his glory. That's who our God is. And so part of the good news of the gospel is that Jesus, he not only died for our sins, all of our sins, thank God, but he also died for our shame. And so if you're in Christ Jesus, if you've confessed, if you've repented, receive his grace, receive his healing, receive his forgiveness, and walk in victory. It's the good news. The Barna Group, if you know who the Barna Group is, they study church, they study culture. They say that only 10% of churches in America will talk about the sanctity of human life. Pew Research Team takes it a step further and says that only 4% of sermons in America will say the word abortion. And so it's no wonder that we have so many sitting in the church who are, who are uninformed, who are apathetic to this issue, or who are afraid to speak up. This is the issue of our day. This is not an issue. This is the issue. There's many issues that that our world is facing. There's many issues that the church world is having to navigate and think about. And one of the things the enemy has done is he's brought just a variety of things and a lot of confusion. But this is the issue of our day. Jesus was asked, what's the most important thing in all of Scripture? And he said, love God with everything you've got, your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so when it comes to the preborn child, we have to always ask ourselves, what is the preborn child? Because if the preborn child is just a blob of cells, then no justification is needed for abortion. But if the preborn child is a human being, no justification is possible. And if the preborn child is a human being, then biblically speaking, they are our neighbor. And we have one category of neighbor that's allowed to be brutally, intentionally, and innocently killed. And that's why we, the believers, we must speak up. I don't know about you, but I am constantly amazed at the moral inconsistency in our country. There's a couple stories a few months ago that caught national headlines, and it was so interesting to watch our culture process this and see the outrage in our culture. There was a young woman in New Mexico who gave birth to a child in the parking lot of a fast food restaurant and she threw the child then in a dumpster. And then a few weeks later, there was a lady on a flight who went into the bathroom, gave birth, threw the child in the trash can and went on. Thank God both children were found, survived. But it was amazing to sit back and watch our our country process that. A country that is so radical in abortion, so pro-abortion. People were outraged. They were just in an uproar that anyone could do this to a child, throw a child away. And yet we know if both of those young women earlier that day, if they would have walked into an abortion clinic and had a late-term abortion, and if you know what that is, how brutal that is, if they would have done that earlier that day, that would have been celebrated in our culture, that would have been championed in our culture, 
That would have been considered heroic and brave, all under the banner of reproductive justice, reproductive health care, reproductive freedom. We've substituted the sanctity of human life for quality of life. What we think is quality of life, meaning we don't want anything to inconvenience us. We live in a culture that tries to moralize abortion. We live in a culture that tries to sanitize abortion. We live in a culture that tries to desensitize abortion. We live in a culture that tries to silence opposition to the brutal reality of abortion. God values life. And so let's once again, let's read our scripture this morning. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. These are some of the most important verses in all of scripture. If we miss this fundamental truth, we will not understand life. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, the imago Dei. He created him male and female. He created them. Again, these verses are some of the most important verses in all of Scripture. If we miss this truth, we won't understand the great value of life. This truly is one of the most critical and consequential truths in all of the world, that mankind alone is made in the image of God. And so as we talk about the sanctity of human life, if we, as we talk about the value of life this morning, we begin right here by anchoring ourselves to this important, incredible truth that we, mankind, we are set apart from all of creation by being made in the image of God Almighty. You see, culture, culture finds value through achievement. Either you're good at something or you're not. And so your value goes up, your value goes down. Either you're a good athlete, value goes up, or you're not a good athlete, value goes down. Either you're from a certain family, value goes up, or you're not, value goes down. Either you look a certain way, value goes up, or you don't, value goes down. Either you have a certain amount of money, value goes up, or you don't, value goes down. Either you have a certain amount of degrees, value goes up, value goes down. But what the Imago Dei teaches us is that value is not achieved. Value is God-given. Value is endowed. It's given right at the beginning of life as we are made in the image of God. But it's not just that. Jesus died for us, right? Jesus gave his life. He gave his all. And so there's great value in our life. And by that, we are the children of God in Christ by faith. And so there's great value on our life. The Imago Dei means that human life, all of life, is precious to God. And when I understand that I'm made in the image of God, then and only then will I know how valuable I really am. Because we are created in the image of God, we are defined by this. This is who we are. This is where we find our value, our worth, and it's something far more meaningful than anything else in this world. Do you know what else is made in the image of God? It's not a trick question. Do you know what else is made in the image of God? Nothing, right? Nothing. There is one thing, one thing that God set apart to bear his image in all of creation. 
and it's mankind. Every single life, we are set apart from creation, and therefore we have dignity and value. Every life is an image bearer and has God-given dignity, God-given value, that before anyone contributes to society, before anyone does anything impressive, before any, anyone does anything for you, there's value on their life simply because they are made in the image of God. How many here love animals? Show of hands. Okay, who, who's our dog people? Do I dare ask, who's our cat people? Do we want to identify? Okay, there's a couple. Keep your hands up. Maybe the elders can meet with you after service, pray for you, and deal with that. Um, our family, we have always had a dog. And even though we had a dog, I still wouldn't say we were dog people. So Holly and I, we wanted our kids to have the dog experience. And so when they were little, we got a dog. We had a family dog. It was great. But, you know, for us, it was what it was. A few years ago, though, our dog died. And for us, you know, it was sad, but we moved on. Our kids were getting older, so we were like, you know, we're not going to get another dog. Um, When they have their own homes, they can do whatever they want. But we got rid of all of our dog stuff. We deep cleaned our house, and we were done. And then we discovered Aussie Doodles. Anybody know Aussie Doodles? So that's an Australian Shepherd mixed with a Poodle, which everything's mixed with a Poodle nowadays, right? And so Aussie Doodle, and they're phenomenal dogs. And so now, a year and a half later, we have this year and a half old Aussie Doodle. Not just an Aussie Doodle, we have a toy Aussie Doodle. And so this dog is 10 pounds, full grown, and this dog has changed everything in our life. And so now we very much are dog people. And so our our former dog had tons of rules, couldn't sit on furniture, didn't go on trips with us. I mean, he was just a dog, kind of eat your food, stay over there. This dog has no rules. She sits wherever she wants. She sleeps wherever she wants. She goes on trips with us. If I walk in and she's sitting in my chair, I don't disturb her. I'll just sit on the floor and let this 10-pound dog have the chair, right? This dog comes on trips with us. Our trips have changed. We don't stop at restaurants anymore because we've got a dog in the car. Everything has changed. Now, I say all that to say, if I had to choose between our dog and one of our kids, I would choose our kids. I'm not sure about my wife. She loves this dog, but I I would choose our kids. If I had to choose between our dog and one of your kids, I would choose between, I I would take your kids, and I mean that. If I had to choose between any animal and any human being, I will choose the human being 10 out of 10 times all day, every day. Why do I say that? Because human beings and animals are not equal. They do not have the same value, and this is what Scripture teaches. There's something unique about human creation that cannot be said about any other creation. God looks down on mankind, and he says, I'm going to make you, you, in my image. I'm going to put the stamp of God on your life. We are utterly unique from all of creation. We are the pinnacle of his creation. Our other passage this morning, a very familiar passage, you know it, Psalm 139, 13 through 16, David, he says, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. 
My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. You should underline unformed substance. In the Hebrew, that word is, that word is embryo. You saw my embryo. You saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me when as yet there were none of them. So we see in this beautiful passage, this familiar passage that life begins in the womb. And as it was even said earlier, there's many passages that actually teach us that God knew us before the womb, right? God tells Jeremiah, he tells Job, he tells Isaiah, I knew you before the foundation of the earth. But this is, this is the biblical worldview that there is life in the womb, that life doesn't just start at delivery when you're seeing a face of a child. There's life in the womb. And we see that we are intricately formed and knit together we see that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And so I ask you, do you know that about yourself? Do you know that you were intricately woven and you were fearfully and wonderfully made? Do you believe that in your heart? Do you believe the reality that God gave great attention and details in forming you in your mother's womb and that he did not make a mistake when he made you? He created you to be an image bearer you are fearfully and wonderfully made. In other words, you were made on purpose and you were made for a purpose. And so the Bible speaks of life in the womb all throughout Scripture. Forty plus times we read of conception of different people, people like Moses and Samuel, Jesus, right? We see Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So we see this all throughout Scripture. And some of these stories have very vivid illustrations of life in the womb. You think about Samson. Samson was given the Nazarite vow in the womb. You think about John the Baptist. When he's in the womb of his mother, the Bible says he leapt for joy and he was filled with the Spirit of God. And so we see life in the womb all throughout Scripture and so you talk about being fearfully and wonderfully made. Did you know at just three weeks, at three weeks, there's a heart that is beating? Before most women even have a clue that they're pregnant, there's a heart that's already beating. At eight weeks, all organs are present. There's a brain that is functioning. The child hears sounds. The child recoils, recoils from pricking, meaning that it feels pain. It sucks its thumb. It gets the hiccups. It's amazing. We're fearfully and we're wonderfully made. And so as we talk about the value of life, this passage also shows us that the length of life is not in man's control either, which means that every life is an image bearer from beginning to end. That's why we say from womb to tomb, God alone has authority to ordain the length of life when it should begin and when it should end. And so for any image bearer to determine or to make the choice for another image bearer that their life should end is to completely bypass the authority of God and to commit murder. God values life. We see it all throughout Scripture. And I want to take just a quick moment, and I want us to declare some scriptural truths together about life. And so I've got 10 Scriptures, and we're just going to read right through these. And I'm going to say the first part. I don't know if we have that. Yeah, I'm going to say the first part, and then I want you to read collectively together 
the part that is underlined. So the first one would look like this. I'll say God created us with, and you will say the breath of life, okay? And we're going to go right through these 10 scriptures that talk about life. Here we go. God created us with the... His word instructs us in the... He is the... When we get saved, we walk in... He is the... He is the... We will be given the... Our names are written in the... We will eat from the... We will drink from. God loves life. We see it all throughout Scripture. From the very beginning when he breathes life into humanity till the very end when we spend eternal life with him, we see God loves life, God values life. And what is so amazing is that Scripture, science, and sense, common sense, they all affirm that life begins at conception. You see, cultural Culture's narrative, life beginning at conception, culture's narrative is that that's a religious view. It's not. It's very much a scientific view, and there's hardly any debate. Also, it's just common sense. So the embryology textbook, and you might say, what in the world is embryology? Embryology is the study of an embryo. You might say, what in the world is an embryo? An embryo is a person. It's a person at a very early stage of development. You think about the different stages of development, embryo. Fetus, infant, toddler, preteen, teenager, adult. And so in other words, you didn't come from an embryo. You were an embryo. And so the embryology textbook, it teaches us that from the moment of conception, this is the exact language, you were a distinct, living, whole human being, a separate DNA from your biological parents, a DNA that has never lived before, and a DNA that will never live again. This is straight from embryology textbooks on secular college campuses all over our country. So again, they say at the moment of conception, there is a distinct, what is distinct? You're unique. You're separate from your human parents. You're a DNA that has never lived before, that will never live again. At the moment of conception, it says living. What is living? Well, dead things don't grow. Pregnant women do not will their child to grow. The baby develops themselves from within, independent of their mother's desires. At the moment of conception, it says whole. Whole, meaning that it has everything that it needs to develop. It just needs time. And so the study of embryology, the textbook, it says at the moment of conception, there is a distinct, living, whole human being that has never lived before. A separate DNA from its mom, and it's dad. That is science. It's fascinating that 2018, the University of Chicago did a study where they surveyed 5,502 biologists who range in worldviews, everything from very pro-choice to very pro-life to very liberal, very conservative, Democrat, Republican, Republican 5,502 biologists. And they asked them, when does human life begin? 95% of biologists affirmed the biological view that a human life begins at fertilization, conception. Science supports scripture. This is not a religious view. This is a scientific view. Faye Waddleton, who's the former president of Planned Parenthood, 
She says, I think we have deluded ourselves into believing that people don't know that abortion is killing. She says, yes, it kills a fetus. Science supports the Bible that this is life from conception made in the image of God. So we see scripture, we see science, but also just sense, common sense. The fact that over 40 states have fetal homicide laws shows us that we know that we're killing a human being. The fact that if you kill a mother who is pregnant, you're not charged with one count of homicide, you're charged with two. The law sees that as a life. So you think about the pregnant woman who's on her way to an abortion clinic and she has an appointment to kill that child. If she's struck and killed in a car wreck on the way there, that driver, even though the mom intends to kill that child, that driver is charged with two counts of homicide. The law sees that as a life. And yet we know if the mom swerves and she doesn't get in a car wreck and she goes to the abortion clinic and she pays hundreds of dollars to have someone kill that child, again, that's celebrated, that's heroic in our culture. The moral inconsistency in our country, it shows us that we know that this is a human being in the womb. And so how do we respond to all of this? How do we respond to this truth? We love our unborn neighbors. And it's easy to say, but what in the world does that look like in a crazy pro-abortion culture that again has something called reproductive justice, reproductive freedom, reproductive health care? The unborn children in our country are almost exclusively defined as non-neighbors, as non-citizens, non-humans, non-persons. If we believe in the sanctity of human life and we desire to honor the Imago Dei, the image of God, then we must care about the evil of abortion. Then we must activate and get in the fight for life. God values life. God is the giver of life. And we have an enemy who hates life, who's come to steal life, who's come to, to kill life. To, he's come to destroy life. He hates life. And so Ephesians 5, written to Christians, Ephesians 5 says that we are children of light. That's who we're supposed to be and that we are supposed to expose darkness. We are to push back darkness and to establish light. These are dark times that we're living in and they're only getting darker. Surely you see that. Surely you feel that. But the existence of darkness in this world should not shock us. It should not catch us off guard. Scripture warns us that these days will be very, very dark. And so maybe the problem in our culture isn't necessarily the existence of darkness. Maybe part of the problem is the lack of light. We are told as children of light to push back darkness and to establish light. Imagine if we walked into this room this morning and all the lights were off and the windows were covered. This room would be pitch black. It'd be completely dark. And nobody would say, hey, would someone just turn off the darkness? Nobody would say that. That doesn't make sense. But everybody would say, hey, would someone turn on the light? And immediately that light would overcome darkness. And that's what we as Christians, we as children of, of light, that's how we are supposed to live in this world. We are to push back darkness and to establish light. And when it comes to the darkness of abortion. Unfortunately, the church has not done a good job historically. 
Historically, the church has responded really in one of two ways. First of all, anger. Not righteous anger that the Bible talks about, but just anger. The Bible tells us to speak the truth in love, and we have many people professing Christians who aren't speaking the truth. They might be, they might be saying truth, but they're not speaking. They're shouting, and it's not in love. And so their words and their actions, they bring great harm, great pain to the cause. But the second response, and I think this is where most people find themselves, this is where I found myself before the Lord radically confronted me with my silence. The second response most people in the church, I think, deal with is just apathy. Apathy. We live in a moral fog. When we feel like something is bad and the laws of the land say it's bad, that's easy, it's bad. But what do you do when you feel like something is bad and the laws of the land say it's okay? Then what? There's a moral fog. There's a moral tension. And that's where most of us have found ourselves these past 49 years. And so therefore, we have just silently accepted a culture of death. Meanwhile, meanwhile, around 65 million plus of our neighbors have been killed at the hands of abortion. Meanwhile, annually, still around one million of our neighbors are killed in our country every single year. Meanwhile, about 3,000 children a day are taken at the hands of abortion in our country, right here in our city. Just to put a picture on it, think about, think, think about 2012, the, the Sandy Hook Elementary Massacre. That was a horrific day for our country where a crazed gunman goes into an elementary school and he shoots up a kindergarten class. And he killed 26 beautiful, innocent, precious five-year-old lives. And you remember seeing the news that night? These 26 lives, their faces, beautiful, innocent children. And it just, oh, it knocked the wind out of us. We grieved that. We mourned that. Flags were at half-mast for a month. Our, our country came around, that community. We rallied around those families as we should. But to put that into context of abortion, that would have to happen in 115 schools that day to equal one day of abortion in our country. And abortion is day after day, after day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. Let me tell you that the enemy is just fine with the church responding either one of those ways. Anger, because it just brings more shame and condemnation to the victims of abortion, or apathy, because it just lulls us asleep to the voice of the culture, but that is not okay. Scripture calls us to action. Scripture mandates action. It's not enough to just care. It's not enough to just care. Caring can lead to inaction, and it still, it often does. Psalm 82 says, you are here to defend the defenseless. You are here to protect the powerless. Proverbs 31 says, open your mouth, be a voice for the voiceless. Proverbs 24, 11 and 12 
It says, rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. Don't excuse yourself by saying, look, we didn't know. For God understands all hearts and he sees you. He who guards your souls knows you knew. He will repay all people as their actions deserve. So in response to the gospel, we want to respond rightly to the transformative nature of the gospel on our hearts. And so what that means is we are passionate about rescuing others because we ourselves have been rescued. And so this morning, this morning I think we end, and I know we're going to move into a time of communion in a few moments, but I think we end by examining our hearts. This summer, church, is going to be very contentious when it comes to this issue. This fall, it's going to be very contentious. We have to be ready. We have to contend for the things that matter to our God. The things that break his heart should break our hearts. And so we have to be ready. And so I think we should take a few moments this morning and examine our hearts. Maybe you're here and maybe abortion is a part of your story and maybe you have never confessed that or, brought, or repented of that or brought that into the light. I encourage you, do that today. There's grace, there's healing, there's forgiveness, there's victory in Christ. Maybe you're here today and, and maybe you're the guy who, who paid for an abortion of maybe a girlfriend in high school or college. Confess, repent. Walk in healing, walk in forgiveness, walk in grace. Where sin flows, grace overflows. Maybe, maybe you're here, maybe you were parents of a child who is in an unplanned pregnancy and maybe, maybe you pushed them into abortion so that you didn't have to deal with public shame or judgment from others. Maybe you've counseled someone over the years to have an abortion. Confess, repent, there's grace, there's healing, there's forgiveness in the cross of Christ. Maybe you're here and none of those apply to you, but maybe this morning as you examine your heart, maybe you see there's actually just great apathy when it comes to this issue. Maybe you're confronted with silence. Maybe you're confronted with you, you have the fear of man when it comes to this issue. Examine your heart. Confess. Repent. This is the mercy of God that we have this time together to walk through Scripture, to be reminded of what is important to our God. We must engage. You know Bonhoeffer says, to not speak is to speak. To not act is to act. We must pray. Pray for our legislators. Pray for pro-life legislators. They've got a very difficult job right now. Pray for protection. Pray for strength. Pray for our Supreme Court justices. Pray for Hope Women's Center. We are your local crisis pregnancy center. And if you've been watching, and it really hasn't been reported that much, but since the Roe leak, many crisis pregnancy centers around the country have been vandalized. Some have been burnt down. Some have been defaced, graffitied. We've had some here in the Metroplex. Pray for us. We need your support. Pray for provision, supernatural provision. We're so grateful for this church that you guys link arms with us, that you come around us to fight 
for life together in our community, but pray. And also I would say, teach the next generation about the sanctity of human life. Don't allow schools, don't allow culture, social media, influencers, celebrities, celebrity pastors. You teach your child the sanctity, the value of human life. May we be people that have Holy Spirit eyes to see those in our community, the vulnerable, the hurting. I want to close this morning by just reading Psalm 103. And this is going to be my closing prayer. And so if you would bow your head and close your eyes, I'm going to read this, pray this over us. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with the steadfast love and mercy. Father, thank you that that is who you are. You are a God of great mercy, of great compassion. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning. God, I pray that they would feel your nearness. I pray that hearts would be awakened to the sanctity of human life, the value of life that we are set apart from all of creation. We, you looked at us and you made us in your image. We have been stamped by you. God, I pray for those who have experienced the pain of abortion, God. I pray that right now they would feel an extra just expression of your love and your comfort. Thank you for the good news, the reminder where sin flows, grace overflows, grace abounds. God, I pray for this faith family. I pray that you would put your hand upon them. God, I pray for the months, the weeks and months ahead as we, as Christians, as we enter into this new season and all that is ahead, God, give this faith family wisdom from above. God, to love those in our community who find themselves in this situation. God, I pray for the young moms and dads who find themselves right now, this very week, God, who will be discovering that they're in the crisis of an unplanned pregnancy. God, I pray that you would bring them to Hope Women's Center. God, I pray that this pregnancy would speak to them of you, of your great love, of your provision. God, thank you that you are a good God. You are a faithful God. Thank you that you are our God. We are your people. You have great care for us. At all times, you're leading, you're guiding, you're moving, you're directing. Forgive us, God, when we forget that. Forgive us when we get that backwards. We trust in you, oh God. In your name we pray, amen.